The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. So if you reflect back over the day and the different uh, mental terrain that you were getting acquainted with, all of the terrain that was difficult to bear, that tormented you, that obsessed you, that caused you some anxiety or some pain, caused by a temporary visitor to the mind called the defilement. When we hear this, we should inquire how, as a yogi, as a meditator, as someone who is practicing the Dharma, how do we do our job? How do we do our work in light of these visiting forces known as defilements? What is the right view to take towards these defilements? How do we establish awareness of them? And how do we sustain the continuity of awareness on them? These are the three yogi jobs that I spoke about the other night. So the first yogi job is to uh, learn, to know, to understand what the right view of the defilements is. These defilements are feelings, thoughts, moods, beliefs, mental states that are that arise in the mind and they're rooted in delusion, confusion, or ignorance. And they always are fueled by restlessness. And we should understand restlessness as being the wandering mind. The mind that just wanders away from the present moment into all sorts of, uh, well, speculative, ruminating, remembering, fantasizing, scheming, strategizing, hallucinating, anything other than what's happening right now. That's wandering mind. And the f all of the defilements are fueled by this kind of mental activity, restlessness. They're also accompanied by, as I mentioned, some form of ignorance or delu delusion. Now, there's a subtle difference to make between ignorance and delusion. Ignorance is not knowing what's going on. And we all have had ample evidence, experience with ignorance. Every time the mind wanders away and you can't catch it or you don't catch it for a while, while the mind is wandering, we are completely ignorant of the fact that the mind is thinking. Not only that the 
mind is thinking, we're ignorant of the fact that we're alive, that we're sitting, that we're walking, we're standing, that we're breathing, that there's, we're in a room. We have no idea about anything. We're completely ignorant. It is awareness that arrests that ignorance. And as soon as a moment of awareness arises, that unknowing of that train of thought comes to an end. Now there's a knowing of it. It may continue or it may not. It often doesn't. Because that kind of restless, wandering mind cannot persist. It doesn't have enough fuel, really, to persist in the face of awareness. It can only happen when we're not paying attention. Now, delusion is a little different than ignorance because delusion means that we understand what we're present with or what we're aware of. We understand it wrongly. We're not lost and totally ignorant of what's going on. We see what's going on, but we mistakenly attribute meaning, value, purpose to it that's not there. We see it wrongly. We, we see it, but we don't understand it correctly. This is experienced as being bewildered, perplexed, confused, and maybe the best, most obvious example of it for us is when we see someone and we feel anger or irritation towards them. It doesn't matter who it is. It can be the person you love the most. But when aversion is in the mind and you don't recognize it, and you look at that person, you will find something disagreeable about them. That is the very nature of aversion. Aversion is one of these defilements. It causes the mind to only notice the unpleasant aspect of the object. So if you're only seeing the unpleasant aspect of the object, whether it's a person, a car, a meal, yourself, your body, your mind, and you're only seeing the unpleasant aspect of it, you're not understanding that object correctly. You're only seeing one side of it, the dark side. Attachment has the opposite habit. It causes the mind to only see the pleasant aspect. That's why you can fall in love. (laughs) Here's this person. You look at them, all you see is the pleasant aspect of them. Size, shape, color, texture, sound, any, whatever it is that you're noticing. And it's like, wow, cool. <laughs> Until some adventitious moment of aversion arises in your mind and you look at the same person and you say, what happened to you? <laughs> Nothing happened to them, it's your mind. Okay, this is delusion. When we see 
what's in front of us, but we misunderstand it because of the influence of one or more of the defilements. So this is the right, this is part of the right view to how to understand these defilements. But generally speaking, we can say that the mind is so frequently visited by the defilements, they are habitual. We have learned to live with them. We've learned to accept them as, well, our personality. You know, when you reflect on your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers, you can get it. You can, you can recall, and you can kind of tag them as, oh, they're, as from the Buddhist perspective, oh, they're the aversive type. They're a really greedy, sensuous type. They're a really deluded type. They're really a whatever type. <coughs> and it's only because of the frequency of that particular state of mind arising that the person is acting out unconsciously. And we know this about ourselves because of the frequency of impatience arising in the mind, we can feel like I am an impatient person. But it's only a momentary visitor to the mind. But because it arises so often, we mistakenly assume that it is inherent within our being. It is an essential piece of our personality. And it has become so because we accept it. You tolerate it. You tolerate your own causes of suffering. We all do. We tolerate our anger. Why? Who suffers when you're angry? The person you're angry at? The door that slammed your finger? The door that you're angry at? Who's, who's suffering? We suffer. When we identify these um, defilements, we grasp them and we identify them as me and who I, or who I am. Or we grasp them as mine. This is my anger, my fear. Because of the frequency and the power of the defilements, they really prevent us from living life fully. We just don't engage the fullness of life out of fear, a defilement, out of depression, a defilement, out of attachment to something else, a defilement, out of aversion, a defilement, out of jealousy, a defilement. And we just don't engage the fullness of life outside of ourselves or within our own heart. And certainly when they arise in our Dharma practice, they hinder and obstruct the development of stability of mind and understanding. So they are a real obstacle, they're a real impediment to finding the peace of mind and the understanding that we on the Dharma path are looking for or aspiring to realize. That's a general 
right view to understand about the defilements. But there's a Dharma right view to have also. The defilements are also part of the Dharma. The Dharma is the way it is, the truth of things. And the defilements, that's the way it is sometimes. That's the truth of this moment or that moment or another moment. And so they are not to be excluded from, avoided, denied, dismissed, minimized from our practice. They are part of the Dharma. They are a naturally arising phenomena due to causes and conditions. They're not wrong. They're not a mistake. They're not foisted upon you by anyone else. It's random, well, random. It is the appropriate causes and conditions when they come together will inevitably give rise to the defilement. In one, from one perspective, we could say, you're not responsible for them. It is the causes and conditions that give rise to them. What we are responsible for is the causes and the conditions. Because some of those conditions are something we can do something about. And some of them, of course, we cannot. These defilements are to be known through awareness and they're to be understood through the development of wisdom. When we have this view of the defilements, they can be known through awareness and they can be understood with wisdom. It changes the potential relationship we can have towards the defilements from one of being oppressed and suffering because of them, considering them an obstacle to our happiness, and we can see them as an opportunity. Because in any moment, as I mentioned the other night, something due to causes and conditions is arising. It is the object of the awareness at that time. Something is arising. If there is no awareness, no Dharma practice, no mindfulness, that object that arises will be the source of unwholesome states of mind unwholesome mental states. On the other hand, no matter what the object is that's arising, if there is Dharma aspiration, Dharma perspective, right view, and training in awareness, no matter what that object is, it is an opportunity to develop wholesome states of mind. Even if what is arising is a defilement. So a defilement arises due to a lapse in awareness, and you get caught up in some snit, some aversion or jealousy or fear or you know criticism or cynicism or something. It arises. If there is in the next moment that willingness to be aware of it, it is an opportunity to develop wholesome states of mind on that object. But because they're so powerful, because they're so frequent, because they delude the mind, they're difficult to see. And so more often than not, until we hear the Dharma and practice the Dharma with some momentum, more often than not, we are entangled in the defilement 
rather than able to be aware of the defilement. Another element of the right view of the defilements is to understand that the defilements are mental states. They're not any body experience. Body experience is not defilement. It can be unpleasant, it can be painful, it can be whatever, intense, but it's not a defilement. Defilements arise in the mind. But when they arise in the mind and they're unseen, they are creating karma. Meaning, they will give rise to their effect, which is going to be experienced as unpleasantness. Unpleasant experiences in the body, like agitation, pain, tension. Unpleasant experiences in the mind, stress, reactivity, disagreeableness. If we don't recognize the defilements, if we ignore them, or we minimize them, or we avoid them, they only get stronger. It's not like they just lay there dormant. When we don't pay attention to them, they get stronger. But when they, and when they are acknowledged, recognized, acknowledged, and there's some level of awareness and understanding of them, they get weaker. Now this is, I'm going to give you a corollary here just so you don't get too oppressed. When unwholesome states of mind arise, defilements, and there is awareness of them, they get weaker. They can only grow in strength when they're not seen, they're operating under the radar of awareness. But when wholesome states of mind arise, kindness, compassion, awareness, patience, equanimity, non-reactivity, when wholesome states of mind arise and you become aware of them, they get stronger. It's important distinction. When we're aware or when there's awareness of unwholesome, they get weaker. When there's awareness of wholesome, they get stronger. So we don't want to just kind of alert ourselves to the defilements and the hindrances and really get out our radar gun to zap them every time they appear. We want to be sensitive to and learn simultaneously to recognize and to be aware of the wholesome states of mind because they get stronger. And it's in recognizing the wholesome states of mind that we gain momentum in practice. Instead of it being a, you know, kind of like starting over again and again and again and again, there's actually a momentum where you get carried along by the momentum of the wholesomeness. And there's then the appropriate or uh, a reflective sense of ease in the practice. You know, when we're just struggling day after day, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, to kind of try to get some momentum, it's a slog. If it feels that way to you, now we've been here three days, 
there are plenty of moments during your day where there are wholesome states of mind arising, where there's some clarity, some awareness, some kindness, some patience, some calmness, some non-reactivity. Recognize them. Alert yourself to the fact that there are wholesome states of mind around and take note of them so that you really consciously strengthen them, grow them, cultivate them, and it will contribute to the development of momentum in practice. But defilements, when they arise, they enchant the mind. It is as if they cast a spell over the mind and we fall into this dreamlike drift you know, ascribing all sorts of magical thinking, uh, uh, value and uh, purpose to things that they don't really have. Yeah. Sayadaw Pandita calls it a living, breathing, long-running hallucination. <laughs> it is. You know when you get lost in a train of defiled thinking? It looks so real. It looks we feel so justified, it feels so right, it's so logical, and it's so wrong. Awareness, or mindful awareness, is like a searchlight casting for faults in this cloud of delusion. When the Buddha recognized these defilements as the source of suffering, he also realized the path to be developed to address these defilements. And in the Noble Eightfold Path of the Buddha's teachings, there are three trainings. And these trainings, each of them address a different level of defilement on the spectrum of defilements. For example, when defilements arise strongly in the mind and there's a particular lack of awareness or recognition of them, and we're so deluded that we believe them we act them out. And we act out our anger and our desire and our fear and our depression and anxiety. And we just act it out as if we really got to do something about it. And this is a particularly, particularly dangerous level of defilement because we don't recognize it's a defilement. We don't exercise any restraint. We act it out with full reckless abandon, without any second thoughts, without any remorse, and we often take a lot of joy in it. Those are all the factors that magnify the karmic effect of an action. Frequency, taking delight, no second thoughts, no remorse. Karma is really powerful. 
when you do that. And so it's particularly dangerous because here we have this unwholesome state of mind that we're not aware of, and we're acting it out with full intention and making the karmic result of it just that much more powerful. Well, to get a handle on this level of suffering, the Buddha had a powerful, I was going to say simple. It is simple. It's powerful, but it's not always easy practice, and that is uh, being aware of the intention before you speak or act. Because when the defilement is that powerful and we act it out, it always transgresses against others. It always causes suffering. You think about it your anger, your fear, your jealousy, whatever it is, and you act it out willy-nilly. You or others, and or others, suffer. It is that powerful. It's not just you. It can, be, can hurt a lot of people. And so the simple but not easy to do practice is to be aware of the intention before, where the, where the motivation is coming from before you speak and act, before you do what you do, before you say what you say. And if there is genuine awareness of the intention, it will be much more difficult to act it out with full reckless abandon joyfully. You may still choose to act it out. Um, that sometimes happens. But you're not doing it without second thoughts, you might do it with a kind of a hesitant intention. You might only do it a couple times instead of very frequently. Okay, so the, the karmic effect is going to be reduced. It's going to be minimized. And that's a reduction in suffering. It's a powerful practice, just, to, just as we're doing here, to keep the precepts. You know, when you read the news, not here, but <laughs> elsewhere, it is a catalog of human suffering caused by not keeping the precepts. That's the news. It's just this vast catalog of suffering because people do not observe their motivation and intention when speaking and acting. We suffer. We suffer because of their actions. That's how powerful it is. Wars, the environmental situation, the lack of discourse in the civic society, it's just unbelievable the power that this carelessness has on everyone's life. Pretty obvious, isn't it? And yet, get into a conversation sometime and watch your own intention. It's hard. It's simple, but it's really hard to do, to just exercise that restraint, that, that awareness of where are you coming from when somebody pushes your buttons and you're about to say or do something in reaction to it. It's not easy. But what we're doing here is 
developing the awareness to see the subtler states of mind that are fueling our motivation before we speak, before we act. And to the extent that we can see and begin to see and uh, recognize these defilements in the mind, we'll have that much more opportunity to prevent suffering in our life outside of retreat. But even if we could exercise this awareness of intention continuously before speaking and acting, our minds might still be filled with the anger, filled with the desire, filled with the fear, filled with the anxiety, even though we're not speaking it or acting it. And so we're still suffering when the mind is filled and we can't get it out of the mind, so to speak, or we don't have the tools to get it out of the mind. The Buddha offered a second training in the Noble Eightfold Path to address this level of suffering. It's less suffering in one sense because it's contained within your own heart, mind. You're not acting it out in the world, hurting others. It's just in here. We've got to bear with it. And the tool, the practice that the Buddha taught for getting a handle on this level of suffering due to these obsessive defilements is mindfulness, mindful awareness. To see within your own mind when the defilements arise and learn how to be aware of them. To learn what the triggers are in your own mind that give rise to these unwholesome states of mind. To understand for yourself what your personal causes and conditions for these obsessive, unwholesome states of mind is or are. This is the path of awareness. We can only discover what these causes and conditions are by paying attention. They are not in the book. And what causes me to fall into a state of fear, panic, anxiety, may be completely different than what causes you to experience the same. We all experience these states of mind, but the causes and conditions can be very personal. And so we can only know for ourselves from our own observation of our own mind. But as we do that, as we pay that kind of careful attention, as we're doing here, we'll begin to see. Oh, I mean, you've got to see them more than once. But you'll see them dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of times. You'll see the mind resort to or want to resort to some defiled reaction. And eventually we learn, I have been down this road before. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
I remember one time I was in Thailand and I'd made a reservation to fly from Bangkok to one of the islands and I'd made it while I was in Burma. So I figured I had my reservation and I had my ticket. And I went to get on the plane on the appropriate day and they said, oh sorry, uh, you didn't call yesterday to confirm your reservation. I said, hello, I was in Burma. Nobody told me I was supposed to do that. They said, oh yeah, your, your, your seat's gone. <laughs> I got so, well, defiled. <laughs> the mind was just flooded with indignation and outrageous anger and irritation and, you know, this sense of entitlement and just like, it was just like a multiple defilement attack. And I couldn't contain it. I, I was not containing it. And I was given the poor ticket. I mean, lovely lady, but she just happened to be the target of all my defilements. You know, and I kind of vented for a while. And this is something I really like about the ties. She looked at me and say, said, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't take it on. She didn't take it on. I mean, it was unpleasant enough, but she didn't take it on. It's not like her fault. It's just like, I wasn't being nice. So she just, in a, in a, in a actually quite a kind voice, she just says, that's not nice. <laughs> it was humiliating. It was shameful. But nevertheless, um, it was bad enough when it was inside me, but when it got out, it was even worse. So this kind of um, awareness training that we're doing here so often we come to these retreats imagining oh, spiritual practice, light, love, peace, happiness, yay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, surprise, it's not like that here. Uh, and we find, you know, Excessive suffering we can find in our minds. But it's not without purpose. It's for learning, for understanding how this is going on, how this happens, and to see for ourselves that we cause our own suffering. So only we can do something about it. We can't really blame that ticket agent for my upsetness. It's my upsetness or my identification with it. So only I or only this mind can do anything about it. Okay. So we practice awareness. And even if we develop an extraordinary momentum to our awareness, we can see, we can catch, we can catch the impulse to, for the mind to resort to some state of mind. We can catch it frequently, but conditions are always changing. Different people are coming into your life, conditions are changing, your body's changing, the world is changing. We just, we don't know what's coming next, but we can be sure there's going to be another opportunity for those defilements to arise, you know. And when they do, because we can't control those conditions out there, we don't know what the, the boss is going to say, we don't know what the neighbor's going to say, we don't know who's going to get elected, we don't know what's going to happen to the market. You know, things are going to change. Okay. Because of the changeability of conditions, the unpredictability of conditions, even 
awareness is not strong enough to, to uproot the tendency in the mind to resort to these defiled states of mind. And so the Buddha offered a third training, which is more subtle and yet more powerful than even awareness. And it is the development of understanding through insight practice that we're doing here. Because if we can truly penetrate the understanding and really understand the nature of these defilements, the nature of awareness, the nature of wholesome and unwholesome, it is possible to uproot the seed of these defilements from the mind. And once the seed is removed, then it'll never sprout no matter how good the conditions are for it. When the seed is uprooted from the mind, even if the conditions in the world and in your body are ripe for the sprouting of this seed of defilement, it doesn't happen because that seed has been eliminated, uprooted. It's, it's not there. And this is the power of insight. This is the power of Vipassana, is to so accurately understand the nature of the defilements and so accurately, rightly, skillfully understand the nature of wholesomeness that these seeds can be uprooted. Watching your intention is good, but it's not that powerful. Even being continuously aware is exceptional was not that powerful. Awareness alone, as Saito Tejaniya said, is not enough to free the heart from suffering and the causes of suffering. We need insight. We need understanding. We need to purify our understanding of all the wrong views that we've lived with for so long. And it's possible through development of insight. So these are the right this is the spectrum of right views to have uh, as we approach the defilements, as we discover them and begin to work with them. The second yogi job is to be aware of them. I've acknowledged that the defilements are such frequent visitors to the mind they arise when the mind is deluded or ignorant, how in the world are we going to be aware of them? We've lived with them, unaware of them, for decades, if not lifetimes. How are we now going to change our relationship to them and start to recognize them and Oh, work with them and understand and, and grow in understanding of them. <clears throat> the first element of becoming aware of the defilements is to hear this information. To hear that there are defilements, states of mind, and they're dangerous because they cause suffering. 
and then to have them identified to you. Sloth and torpor, fear, anxiety, attachment, aversion, restlessness, depression, jealousy, envy. There's more than, there's many. The big five in practice are, as Kamala mentioned last night, attachment, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. If we just work with those, we'll, we'll gain a lot of momentum. But to even recognize what is a defilement, we need to hear about the defilements. We need to hear about them. We need to begin to appreciate their power uh, and begin to, to, to then look with our awareness so that we can recognize them. Recognition or recognizing something is perception. And the way that we recognize something is to taste it. You know, if you, you know, if you had a blindfold on and you were offered half a dozen pieces of fruit, the only way you would recognize what the fruit is is by tasting it. You might be able to get some close with texture. You'll know the difference between pineapple and apple, but between apple and pear, you're going to have to taste it. Well, the same with awareness of unwholesome mental states. We have to taste them. We have to taste what this mental state actually feels like. We have to get the texture of it. We have to get the unique flavor of pain, fear, jealousy. And that's a problem. It's a problem because it's not pleasant. And we have spent our life, well, avoiding as much unpleasantness as we can. None of us like unpleasantness. We're not seeking unpleasantness. Most of us do anything we can to get away from it, to avoid it, to we scheme and strategize to keep it out of our life. And yet, in this practice, we have to taste the unpleasantness of the defilements to really understand uh, their power. So, knowing that, that they are unpleasant, that, they f that they're f the feeling, a taste of them is unpleasant, and they're arising, and we need to come f become familiar with it, we should all uh, welcome unpleasantness. We should say, you know what? I know it's going to be unpleasant. I'm ready for it. And, and be willing to experience it openly, fully. Uh, I won't say joyfully, but, you know, with, with awareness so that we can get it and get it over with, I might add. Because the more we resist, the more we avoid, the more we deny, minimize, scheme, strategize to get away from, the longer it's going to take and the stronger the defilements get and the more painful or unpleasant the taste when you finally get it. <laughs> what a joyful talk. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. But we have to come out of our denial. We have to come out of our avoidance. We've got to come out of our you know, unwillingness to experience unpleasantness. Look, this is my mantra for practice. Comfort is not a worthy goal for your efforts. If you're looking for comfort, there are easier ways to get comfortable. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> you know, 
So don't make comfort the goal of your practice. Be willing to, to bear with the unpleasantness because there's a lot to learn in the unpleasantness. But when, when we finally can recognize, kind of like grok, kind of get the taste of any of these defilements, the second step in working with them is to relax. Mostly when defilement arises in the mind, we get anxious, we get fretful, we get tight, we get alarmed, we get panicked, we get, want to get out of there. You know, anger arises. <laughs> Desire arises. I can't handle it. I've got to get rid of it. You know, sleepiness. I've got to get rid of that. Wandering mind. I've got to get rid of it. I want to get rid of everything. Relax. Because it has arisen due to causes and conditions. If we relax around it, we can actually feel it more intimately, more accurately. We can taste it. Can, we can take it in, and we don't have to deal with all of the dust that gets stirred up because we're, we're so reactive to it. Relaxing actually is, a, is part and parcel of acknowledging this is, this is the way it is right now, and accepting that this is the way it is. It's not accepting it as good and oh boy, it's just accepting the fact of this is what has arisen for this moment due to causes and conditions. It's an acknowledgement, as Saito Utejaniya says, that the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. The defilements that arise in the mind, they're not yours. They arise due to causes and conditions. But when they arise, you have to be responsible for them. You're the one who has to take care of them. You either get entangled in them because of lack of awareness, or you learn about them through the practice of awareness. That's our responsibility as a yogi, to work with them, to take responsibility for handling that which arises due to these impersonal causes and conditions. It's not your fault, so to speak, that the defilements arise. Deeply conditioned habits and, and lack of awareness are part of it. But once they arise, we have to do the work. Some of the causes for the arising of the defilements, just to give you a clue of where to look, is unwise attention. We're not paying careful or skillful attention to what is arising. And when there's unwise attention, we we don't see things clearly. We don't see things accurately. We're kind of, there may be weak energy, unwise attention, or we may have um, a wrong attitude of mind. We may think, oh, when this arises, get rid of it. This is common. You know, when any of the hindrances arise, get rid of it. That's wrong understanding. And when there's that wrong understanding in the effort to be aware, it's going to help condition the arising of defilements. So we want to we look to see what are, what are the conditions, what's going on that allows the defilements to arise. Unwise attention, weak energy, wrong understanding, wrong attitude of mind. See these things. So when I ask the question, what, 
why, why did that defilement arise? Why, why did that state of mind arise now? I'm not asking you to do a psychological analysis of your childhood. I'm asking you to look at the conditions that were present in that moment in the mind. Weak energy, a little bit of laziness, uh, lack of attention to the arising object drifting off in someplace else, wrong understanding of what you're supposed to do with this moment. Those are the conditions that we want to look at. Those are the explanation for why did this arise at this time. Just as when we are quick to catch the arising of a defilement and we see that it, it doesn't last, it doesn't get legs, it just it kind of falls away, it, dis it dissolves, it disappears, uh, it, it, it shrinks to uh, no, no, no big deal. Why? Why how, how does that happen? Uh, you know, some of you may have had the experience. You know, sometimes sleepiness arises and you just, you know, you're bobbing and nodding and you're trying to notice it, you're trying to be with it, you're noting it, you know, you're know, you just like, oh, God, I gotta take a nap. I gotta hardly wait to the bell so I can go take a nap. And you're still noting, you're noting, you're noting. And in a split second, in a single note, like that, boom, it can be totally gone and you can be totally alert. <laughs> What happened? Well, finally, the momentum of right understanding, right effort, uh, wise attention, all came together. And when those causes and conditions are there, the defilement cannot exist. It doesn't exist. Wholesome states of mind exist. We do what we can. What can we do? Well, we can bring a right understanding. We can bring a right attitude. We can try to be aware. We can try to have, uh, try to be uh, patient. All of those qualities are something that we can work with. Rather than just trying to get rid of the sleepiness, we work with those conditions. We, we develop those conditions to the extent that we recognize them and, and can. And in this way, we learn about the defilement. So we recognize the unwholesome state of mind, relax, just accept the fact that this is the way it is for now. And third, we want to be careful to exercise some restraint, to not just act it out, thinking, I'll get rid of it. I'm hungry. Uh, you know, I, I, I got a desire for something. I'll just do it. There. Got rid of that temporarily. But not by exercising restraint, but by, you know, acting it out. So we want to be careful not to act out any of the defilements that arise. You know, you, you know, somebody's, somebody beside you in the hall is irritating you. They're just doing their own thing. But they're irritating you, and you get really, <sighs> so you just go outside, write a note, give it to them. Meta. <laughs> and you get rid of your anger, your irritation by dumping it back on them. That's acting out aversion, acting out impatience, acting out desire, acting out sleepiness. Uh, during the first few days you know, of retreat, the, you know, you're bound to experience some dullness, some sleepiness. Uh, you know, and if you think that it shouldn't be happening, that's wrong view, wrong understanding. It happens to the causes and conditions. First couple of days of retreat, take a nap. You know, you know, when you get really tired, take a nap. The first few days of the retreat are over. 
So now's the time to exercise restraint. <laughs> okay. Now, okay, so we recognize, relax, exercise some restraint. The fourth step in developing awareness of these states of mind is to reframe your understanding. Now look at what your understanding is. Here's this defilement that has arisen, this hindrance has arisen. You see it, you recognize it, you accept it. it it's here, got to deal with it, my responsibility. I didn't make it happen, but I got to deal with it. I'm not going to act it out. Now, what do I think about this? How do I understand this state of mind? Without a Dharma perspective on it, you'll think, this is bad. This is not good. I got to get rid of this. Uh, you know, this is shameful, or whatever. And we'll think, I can't practice until I get rid of this sleepiness. I can't practice, I can't be aware until I get rid of my anger. I can't practice until I get that person to, whatever, wrong understanding. When it has arisen, when any of the defilements arise, that is the very time and place to practice. You don't wait till it's gone by and then say, okay, now I'm ready to practice. It is the very place to practice, the very place to establish awareness on that object itself, that state of mind, and all of its manifestations, how it feels in the body, the thoughts in the mind, the feeling in the heart, any manifestation of the development. And so we want to reframe our wrong understanding in line with right view. And the right view says, as Saito Utejaniya says again, try to recognize that defilements are simply defilements, that they're not your defilement. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. He says, the wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that it should not be wandering is the problem. The object isn't really important. How you observe it or view it is. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experience rather than being willing to work with the defilements. So let this be a, a kind of a, a, a reflection to reframe your understanding. Now is the time to practice awareness. This is the very experience to practice being aware of. When we use this kind of uh, information, we can use it to intelligently support being aware of the defilements. So we've recognized the defilements, we've relaxed, we've accepted this, this, is, this is what's happening now. We've exercised some restraint, so we're not kind of acting it out surreptitiously or blatantly. And we are, have reframed our understanding. We know this is the place, this is the time, this is, this is it. Now be aware. What happens when we're aware of something? What happens? As I mentioned, it is awareness that tastes. Awareness gets, gets it, gets the flavor of that experience. Even in, a, even in a split second, the mind can get it. The awareness can get the flavor in a split second. It doesn't, it doesn't take, you don't have to have a whole meal. You just get a whiff. And it's that 
knowledge of the uniqueness of that moment's experience that is so powerful. It's powerful because we can begin to distinguish one mental state from another. You know, fear is a noticeable mental state, but it's very different than anxiety. Jealousy is very different than envy. Attachment is very different than grasping. Depression is different than despair. But how do we know that? Those, we know the words are different, but we know the experience is different because we taste the uniqueness of each one of them. This knowledge is invaluable. You know, you know, we have to uh, get familiar with all of these states of mind so that we can recognize them quickly because we've tasted them enough to know. None of us are ever fooled when we eat a banana to think that it's a piece of pineapple because we've eaten enough of it to know. And the same with mental states. If we, if we, or as we develop a skill and willingness to taste the defilements, we recognize them quickly, they don't last. And this is the final piece or the final leg, the kind of understanding that encourages us to deal with and work with the defilements, but also eventually uproots the defilements from the mind is when you taste the flavor without resistance of any of the defilements, you gain this invaluable understanding. And what is this understanding that we gain? It doesn't last very long. I can tell you that, but until you see it for yourself, until you see how fleeting the taste of that state of mind is, you won't know. It is so fleeting, you will wonder, why did I struggle so long with it? Now, I've had people come in and say, Ah, I was sleepy all day. I was depressed all day. I was anxious all day. I was fearful all day, whatever. No, you weren't. Not possible. Nothing lasts that long. Nothing. It only appears that way because you didn't notice everything else that was going on. So rather than just having the lens that only sees that defilement, see what else is going on there. And you'll see, and this will help you to recognize how fleeting the defiled states of mind are. They're so quick. Why do we have to struggle with them? They don't last anyway. And they come due to causes and conditions. They leave due to other causes and conditions. It's not yours. It's not your problem. When we understand this about the defilements through our direct experience, they don't have a chance. They just don't have a chance. When the conditions are ripe for the arising of one of these defilements, and you have that kind of willingness, recognition, understanding, it's like seeing through them immediately. They just don't get any legs. They don't get a grip. They don't, the mind doesn't get entangled in them. We can't, we can't stop the conditions in the world from being ripe for a reaction of a defiled state of mind. You know, things happen and quite naturally we'd get upset. We'd get reactive with aversion, desire, or something. Or 99 out of 100 times we would. But that's only because we don't understand. We don't see clearly, we don't understand. We're kind of 
entangled in the experience rather than aware of the experience. So what we're doing here is trying to get the momentum together based on our understanding and our aspiration and our wise attention to actually see the defilements as they arise, to understand them, and to understand this about them, that they don't last very long. They're not yours. You don't make them happen. You can't stop them from happening unless you develop awareness and understanding of them. But it is possible. Again, Sayadaw Tejaniya says, in order to understand defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. Good being wholesome. Once you understand the defilements, wholesome states of mind inevitably have to arise. This is our work. This is our yogi job in relation to the defilements. To have a right understanding about them, to be aware of them, and to be willing to persist, to persevere in the face of their incessant arising. You know, at some point we just, or all along, we just gain more and more knowledge to the point where they don't, they don't bother us anymore. They don't get a hold. They don't, the mind doesn't, is no longer confused, no longer deluded, no longer tricked into or enchanted by the defilements. This is the path to freedom. This is the path to peace. This is the Buddha's Noble Eightfold Path. So let's sit quietly for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.